This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that says, thank you, Daddy. May I have another? It's time to do a little bit of stargazing. Nights. Joining me today is the the Jamie Ben to my Tyler Sagan, or the Tyler Sagan to my Jamie Ben. It's uh, Taylor Baird. Taylor, how are you? <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I'm great. <What>? I'm great. <laughs> I, I don't know. He scored a goal. It was an important goal. I don't understand the joke. Yeah, I mean, we definitely are kicking the uh, after dark off right. It's right, man. It's okay. Well, well, it's just I, I'm I'm elated. I'm I'm in a good mood. I I went through the entire spectrum of anxious fan emotions to to wind up here a, an almost broken man, and and just the joy you know leapt out of me. I don't know that elation is the word that comes to mind. I think. Uh... There were definitely some big sighs of relief when it when regulation ended. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, elation just in the sense of they aren't uh, Dallas that's didn't over. go down three games to one, and they they didn't go into overtime, and they held on and won, and they scored at even strength. There were there were some good things. So fun facts I've learned um, throughout this series: uh, Minnesota has never in their entire franchise history gone up to nothing um, in a series. They've also never gone up 3-1 in the series. And guess what? That did not change. It did not change. And and it didn't change thanks to um, kind of a, a, a down-the-lineup effort from the Dallas Stars. They they got some some big, I mean, not down the lineup from the goal, but in terms of in terms of tonight's goal scores, it was it was a pretty um these these weren't the brand names that that were kind of getting the job done. It's just so interesting to see the discourse after this one ended because it kind of feels like a lot of fans are thinking they're lucky stars that Dallas kind of almost went out and stole one, so to speak. But then I think after game one, you could argue that Dallas deserved to win, especially after out shooting Minnesota 17 to six or whatever it was, ridiculousness in that first overtime. So, you know, it kind of feels like yeah, they didn't have their best night, but maybe that's some karmic retribution. Yeah, well, I, I think one, you know, these these are the margins of a playoff series, right? Dallas, it, it, they probably on the merits deserve to be in a two to two series right now. But if you're imagining the old deserve a winometer, then you're right. It's you flip game one and Dallas wins that one instead of losing, and then you you flip game you know game four. But I would argue that you know yes, and I've I've even got all the nerd stuff up in front of me right now. Right. And they, they got out, they got out chanced. Um, you know, they got out, they got out shot. They, they, they didn't carry the play, but this was a very tight game. I think it ended up being something like 12 high danger chances to 13 in favor of Minnesota and, and expected goals were like 3.1 to 3.5. Right. So this was one that, that was kind of bleeding on the margins. Right. And, it wasn't, I think that you could definitely say that Dallas rode their luck a little bit. I mean, you know, we talked about the Ottinger save already. They they needed kind of a miracle save at the end, not miracle save. They needed a very good save in the waning seconds of the game to preserve the tie. But this this wasn't 
this wasn't robbery. They didn't have masks on. They they deserved the goals that they scored. Um, you know, even Minnesota got a you know, goal line save to end all goal line saves right before one of theirs, right? So it's it's not like this is a it's not like Dallas got kind of roundly outplayed and, and stumbled their way into a result tonight, I would say. Yeah, but it wasn't exactly the statement game, I guess, many fans probably expected Dallas to have after yep. um, Game Three's performance. Yeah, uh, they, you would have wanted one, but I wonder, and here's my, my first question of the night for you, Taylor, is barring another parade of, of Minnesota penalties, right, is this a series that's really going to have statement games? Probably not. I mean, this was by far the closest, I think, series by all of the advanced stats metrics and all the analysts kind of saying this one's definitely going six or seven. And of course, here we are. It's definitely going at least six. I don't think I would expect to see any like runaway wins again. I think they've kind of got them out of the system, out of the system. I think the more important thing for me is that Dallas came in and kind of stole back home ice advantage. From Minnesota after they came in and took game one against Dallas. Well, and they, they did it after, you know, kind of fo- like, you know, follow the, and this is, I, I always hate trying to get into players' heads, but, you know, following the the emotional weight, right? So they they came out flat in game one, played fantastic towards the end and, and lost. Then game two, like you're thinking, okay, well, this is much more like overtime and this is much more like, you know, so game two almost felt like, you know, nature is healing. <laughs> okay, they figured this out. Here we go. It's going to be a five game series. And then game three was just a catastrophe, right? So from a from a statement perspective, I obviously would have liked to see them score a touchdown and, and run Minnesota out of their own building. But to 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 steady the ship that quickly to to puncture Gustafson to to keep the you know to keep the power play hot when they desperately needed it to be hot and then to keep their nerve at the end of the game when what you know looked like it was going to be a laugher in the last you know three and a half four minutes all of a sudden turns into this intense pressure cooker environment you know there there are statements that are you know one statement is we're gonna you know come in and you can't do anything the other statement is you're not going to rattle us. We're going to find a way to win. See you back in Dallas, right? Yeah, and I mean, they they managed to do that, but I think there are still some lingering questions. I think for, for myself, I'm just wondering, like, what Dallas is going to show up yeah. on Tuesday? <laughs> what team is going to come out, and are we going to ever actually see them apply their game to the game? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, I feel like we've watched Dallas have to overcome Minnesota imposing their will and their style onto them. And I have yet to really see an example of Dallas, Im, like, uh, Im, imposing their will. And and I say that because I don't think that game two, realistically, was them coming out and imposing their will. Their will. I think that... A lot of that had to do with Marc-Andre Fleury as much as it did Dallas capitalizing on the chances that they actually got. I think that's right. It was, you know, and it's hard to, when everything is working that well, you you don't necessarily go to the good material, right? So it's it's game two. They Maybe they were playing well. I think you're right. They, they could have, it, it wasn't the sort of utter 
casual dominance. Minnesota did come back to to make it a little bit of a game, and you could argue, and I'm I'm in the camp that it was much more about the quality of the chances Dallas was creating than anything Flurry was necessarily giving them. But you know, your point I think is very valid, and that this has largely been a series of Minnesota kind of instituting the style of play. And Dallas having to find ways to counterpunch around that and to score around that versus, you know, shifting, shifting it in any way, shape or form. And this entire series is always just going to have this big what if kind of hanging over it, because you have to imagine that the narrative or the looks are very different had Joe Pavelski not gotten injured in game one. Yeah, but he was they they played like dog s <laughs> when they, you know, up until pretty much the moment he went out, they were terrible. And that's not yeah. saying he yeah, I'm not trying to blame him or anything, but yeah, it's it's what version of, you know, I, I we didn't exactly it's not like we saw the ideal version of this team firing on all cylinders and then he gets hurt and it all falls apart. No, but I do think that you would have seen I don't know, I just think maybe like I think you would have seen Dallas come out with maybe better starts in games three and four than they had. I don't yeah. know. Like there's there's an element that Pavelski brings that is a very intangible. And in the playoffs, the intangibles become the thing that really, truly can separate a team in a series. And I it just feels like they're missing something right now. Like Jason Robertson has looked almost... I mean, like, is he hurt? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing, the thing, though, you know, Jason Robertson, after this this afternoon's game, one goal, two assists, three points. You know, if if I, he hasn't been his usual self, for sure, if I'm trying to sell you on a brighter tomorrow, he does have 14 shots and is currently shooting about 7.1%, right? So you can look at him and think, well, it will probably get better, but I think your point you made earlier about the playoffs being a little bit of a different beast, that that kind of logic works when you have an 82-game stretch to look at, right? Oh, 7.1%. It'll probably level out. He's going to have a, a blistering month here, and it's we're going to think this is silly. The sad truth about the playoffs is you may not get enough time for the regression monster to come back, right? So if you have a bad week, you might just have a bad week. Whereas in the regular season, you can kind of afford to go hot and cold. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a huge problem right now. It's, it's really, it's limiting this team and, and it's, it's a major, especially there, they've effectively been, you know, with him struggling and Pavelski completely out of the lineup, it's, it's really put a damper on where you typically see to your point about controlling pace and play, right? The stars usually build things out from their first line. And right now that that line doesn't seem to exist. Well, and for me, I just think like what Pavelski brings for Robertson and hints when he's in the lineup is partly the respect that he earns from the opposition. The opposing team knows that you have to keep an eye on where Pavelski is at on the ice. Otherwise he'll get you. Whereas I don't know that Tyler Sagan today has that same level of respect. And so the teams, when they have to worry about where, where is hence, where's, where's Pavelski, where's Robertson, it allows Robertson to just get open more. And, and that's what I think I've noticed the most about his about his game specifically is he hasn't been able to find that creative, you know, that creative space 
to be able to make the subtle plays that he does where he can just absolutely snipe you. Whereas I think it's been easier for the Minnesota to key in on Robertson and take him out of the play now that they don't have to worry too much about what Sagan is doing in that similar kind of role. I think you're right. And I think compounding that, we haven't seen the same level of offensive production thus far. Jamie Benn has the same, you know, one goal, two assists postseason as Jason Robertson. Mason Marchment hasn't done anything offensively. Max Domi hasn't registered a point. Um, Wyatt Johnson has the single assist. Delandria, no points. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I agree with everything you're saying about the mentality that Pavelski brings and how he forces teams to adjust to the stars and how that creates the pockets of space. You know, his ability as a passer, his ability is, you know, to to see the ice, take the space, right? It creates for everybody. And then Dallas is compounding that right now by, you know, we during the regular season when the first line wasn't firing, you know, it was it was Jamie Benz unit. They they were creating they were creating that pressure in other places, right? You couldn't overfocus on Robertson because you had to worry about everything else. Well, you know, removing Sagan from his his third line seems to really you know, they're not doing anything. And you know, Ben is struggling. The the second line is is not really doing anything. So we're right back to to watching a one line team out there, and it's 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 really hurting them right now. Yeah, and I think you know it just feels like. The, the top line was the one place where Dallas couldn't afford to take an injury early in the, in the playoffs. Um, because what that's done is it's just rejumbled every line. Like, Marchment and Domi's line looking ineffective isn't exactly um, breaking news, considering when Marchment was out, Domi and Sagan looked almost invisible. You know, so, like, mm-hmm. those three were the three, and they were supposed to be the ones that, you know, got a chance to re-click um, you know, kind of the way they had been when they were first put together after the trade deadline before Marchment ended up getting hurt and missing a month. So it's it's like the one thing that Dallas didn't need. And I mean, I can think of other things that could be worse and we're not speaking those into existence. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's definitely not. It's definitely exposed, I think, some of the depth that they were able to cover up throughout like an 82 game season, like you were saying, yeah, it has relative, relative health all season long. So that definitely helps. It has. And and I do want to skew this. We're, we're not going to be completely negative because for, for Pete's sake, they won the game tonight and they, they tied the series and those are good things. It's exposed the depth in a good way as well. We had, you know, jokes at the beginning of the podcast, Dadnoff got his third. And as much as we're talking about Sagan being invisible with um, Mason and, and, you know, Domi down the stretch, he has slotted and he, he scored twice, right. Um, one on the power on the power play as well. Right. So he has slotted in and found ways to generate offense. So from a depth perspective, they're thank goodness getting that scoring right now. It won him a game tonight. So hilarious story about Tyler Sagan scoring, actually. Uh, we, my best friend, um, came into town with her baby and we all met up for dinner and we're watching the stars game and, because the baby needs to go to bed. Um, we ended up having to leave between the second and third intermission. So we were driving driving back um, and listening to the broadcast in the car, listening to Josh and Razor on the radio. And we were talking right before Sagan scored. And I said, yeah, um, you know, it's been pretty rough with Joe Pavelski out. But Tyler Sagan's kind of done him proud with a couple of those uh, tipping goals right in front. And then, bam, he immediately starts. <laughs> he goes, it's like you spoke it into existence. <laughs> 
It's yeah, and, and they were they were the site the the sorts of goals that Pavelski would typically score. Right, they moved Sagan into that spot on the power play, and he's found a way. They were two for three tonight, and it's it's going right now. And it's it's you know depth depth is letting them down in certain areas, but I guess the beauty of depth is it's it's making up for it in others. And they certainly need more from the group as a whole. I, I don't know that you want to play this exact game three more times to close out the series. I don't know if you'd love your chances, but, um, you know, they've been there. And and we're going to get into a little bit more of the specifics. Taylor, we're going to take a very quick break, uh, say hi to the green team, and we'll be right back. A message from the attorneys at Greening Law PC, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. If you have been hurt in a car accident, experienced malpractice from a physician, hospital, or were injured on the premises of a business, then call the lawyers at Greening Law. They have represented clients from car accidents to birth injuries to sexual assault cases involving clergy or hospitals. The staff at Greening Law, better known as the Green Team, fights your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about our fierce Dallas stars. The Green Team is your fierce legal competitor against insurance companies. So what are you waiting for? Consultations are free. They only get paid if you get compensated. So give them a call at 972-934-8900. Again, that number is 972-934-8900. Call now. Principal office is located in Dallas, Texas. All right. So talking about depth, we're going to to pirouette very, very violently onto the other end of the spectrum. And yes, we've talked about Robertson struggling a little bit, Jamie Benn struggling a little bit. There are three people that Dallas came into the postseason knowing they would need to rely on heavily that are doing the opposite of struggling. So Rupe Hintz right now co-leads the entire NHL postseason with eight points. Um, Jake Ottinger was fantastic uh, again tonight. And Miro Haskinen is currently tied for second with five points, one point behind Adam Fox in terms of defenseman scoring. So while part of the story for the Stars is inconsistency, good and bad, throughout the forwards that they expected to contribute. Another big piece of the story for the Dallas Stars is, you know, Hintz had points on all three uh, Stars goals tonight. Um, But the other story for the Stars is a couple of the big guns have really showed up and you know, especially in the case of Miro Haskin, I'm just done being surprised by it. I, he he's just always amazing. I think he's just so good. It is it is it's easy to take for granted how often we watch him play, um, how good he is at, at at the game. Like it's it's absolutely wild to me. No pun intended. That <laughs> <laughs> that. He doesn't get more recognition. I, you know, I really, I really appreciated that Elliot Friedman, um, you know, I think it was on his podcast, talked about how Miro, he had Miro Haskinen on his Norris ballot and he had him fairly high on his Norris ballot. And he's like, kind of making me look like a genius for, for it. And, but it's just what we see him do every night. It's kind of crazy that he just quietly goes about his business and is just, rocking up points right now and not just that he played 27 minutes in game four the next highest defenseman was lindell who played 23 uh almost 23 and a half base 23 36 so haskinen is is the guy for that unit and and what what occurs to me and this is more of an off-season topic to explore but in a lot of cases the norris is one of those trophies it's like the selkie in the same way that you kind of have to win it before you win it meaning you have to have the season that's probably worthy about it to get yourself into the conversation for future considerations. And for me, this season really felt like the uh, the precursor season. You know, before this season, it was, 
well, he's he's elite defensively, but he's never going to score enough. Well, okay, he's he doubled his his postseason total, and he's he's up. He now is is putting up points commensurate with the big boys, right? And so this feels like the season before he turns into the guy that's just stapled to the top of the Norris ballot or, you know, honor about their moving forward. If he, if he has this exact same season next year, I think he's probably several places higher just because that's the way that voting for the Norris seems to work. And honestly, barring some Eric Carlson hundred point season again, probably wins it. I mean, you have, it, it is very, very difficult right now to argue that there is a defenseman in the league that is significantly better than Miro Haskinen. And it's certainly hard to argue that there is a defenseman in the NHL that is significantly more valuable to his team than Miro Haskinen. Are you, are you saying that he should be put, put in the heart? I just think, I mean, I'd listen, I'd, I'd put him in the Selkie. I'd put him like, get, <laughs> name an award and I'll vote for Miro Haskinen at, at this point. I'll give him a Grammy. I don't care. <laughs> I just, I, I am in my brain, right? I imagine that you just, you could hand him like a tuba and give him 20 minutes and he's playing a song on the tuba. Like he's just, he just effortlessly does everything. And to your point, it's, it's, it's become so normal that he is so effortlessly brilliant. And I just assume that he can do anything. I don't worry anymore. I think the only thing I worry about watching Miro Haskinen is what his defensive partner of the day is doing <laughs> that's that's the only only question mark that i have <laughs> sometimes i really really worry about this team playing him with a anchor around his ankle rather than than somebody that can just let him roll he needs the isa Lindell to john klingberg he does he does also another weird thing <laughs> uh, what uh and you may already know this but how many minutes on the penalty kill did Mario haskin play tonight Zero. I don't know. Yeah, that's actually exactly right. He he and Thomas Harley were the only two stars defensemen to not play on the on the penalty kill tonight. It's so fascinating too because I mean you could probably play him in all situations and it's a good good time for Dallas, but I guess that makes sense in a game where it was like zero zero for the longest time ever. You're you're probably saving him to try to generate that offense. Yeah, and, and the the other thing is it seemed. It seems like DeBoer, so the, the breakdown of that is there were there were four defensemen that played. So Hockenpah, Suter, Lindell, and Joel Hanley, of all people, saw time on the PK. But Suter and Hanley were both beneath a minute. So Suter played 54 seconds. Hanley played 30 seconds or 37 seconds. So the, the Dallas Stars penalty kill tonight was basically five and a half minutes of Hockenpah and Lindell. And it, it seems like that is that is DeBoer's group. Those are his guys, and they got all of the time with a man down this evening. Did the dudes, like, never leave the ice for two straight minutes? Holy cow. I, I mean, they, they were off for at least, you know, 54 seconds and 37 seconds, so they got a little bit of a break. <laughs> doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't, no. <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> Um, you know, other interesting things, Hanley with almost 11 minutes, Thomas Harley played 13, 22. He did get on the power play. It was 14 seconds. So it maybe was just him trying to get off the ice and let somebody else have a turn. So he hasn't exactly, um, you know, it's, it's not what he was playing in that, that wonderful stretch to end the season, but you know, it's not nothing. I think long-term for the stars to succeed, you probably need to see him playing a little bit more, but, um, Playoff times, you you ride the guys that that are getting the job done, and 
for the Stars' defense, the the real trend seems to be Haskinen all of the time and Hockenpah and Lindell on the penalty kill and figure out the rest. Poor Colin Miller. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Would you would you have put him in the lineup over over Joel Hanley? Yes, but for some reason, Joel Hanley seems to be a security blanket. <laughs> I I always feel like a jerk talking about Joel Hanley because. I don't. I, everything I say about him is brutal and negative, and it's not personal. He's not. I, I'm sure he's a delightful person, but he is. He is just the hockey equivalent of you know punting on a fourth and two. Like he just. He doesn't do. He. You play him because you want to just like occupy ten minutes with something. You know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he brings negative value to the team, but I don't always see the positive contribution either. So I mean. I guess I guess in the grand scheme in a playoff series that's this tight, maybe just being a neutral player is is a good thing. Like you know, it's you're just, not actively harming the team by being out there. So maybe it just it, helps, it reminds me of the darkest days of you know Hitchcock 2.0 and Bonus, where the focus Joel Hanley is that embodiment of the focus is on not letting anything bad happen, not can we make something good happen. And I think you're you're right, and I can see the appeal for of a co- of that in a, with a coach, especially in a tight series. You know, when when every single play's importance is so intensely magnified, having a guy that's not going to make any mistakes at the bottom end of your defensive group is maybe better than a guy that might make a couple of mistakes. But it it still it rankles me. I'm not going to lie. I see him in the lineup, and I always I sigh and think, oh well, that's fine, I guess. It's a choice, but it also, it does make you kind of wonder, like, is it, is it truly the best lineup? Is it like, is it truly the best set of six that gives you the best chance to win that night? I don't know. Maybe, maybe just having a fresh, the fresh legs is what was needed. I mean, that looked awfully sluggish last game. So maybe just by trading a guy like that out, you know, maybe it, it lit a spark or, or maybe Colin Miller has, you know, some kind of lingering something that we're unaware of because it's the playoffs and everybody is just a game time decision. No, everybody is hundred percent healthy Taylor. And, and I resent your implication that that's not the case. As Dean Evison said, it's the playoffs. Everybody is available at this time of the year. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the truth of hockey. Right. And it's, it is interesting to see, like, I think, you know, the other pieces, it's not like, it's not like this was, you know, Gustafson having a fantastic game and then Fleury getting the start next time, right? It's not like the, the group had distinguished itself and, oh my gosh, how do you justify taking anybody else to insert Joel Hanley? Yeah, but exactly. It, it's something, you know, it's, 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 there's some stuff to figure out here. Would you say overall, right? So big picture, what is your vibe heading into the, the kind of back nine of this series? What is the vibe? The vibe is... It feels very lunch pail. And here's what I mean by that. Just go to work. That's all they need to do. Just go to work. You have home ice back. Two of the next three are in front of your home crowd. You should get a lot of a lot of energy boost from from a very, very loud building, um, especially in a tide series. You know, but you just need to go in and do play your game and do the work. And the result should follow. Get out of the series <laughs> and away from these guys just yeah i think that's a good that's a good way to to put it i still have there at some point you feel like 
they're going to need to be able to sustain pressure five on five. And they've done it in spurts, but at some point the narrative has to, to pivot away from everything that Minnesota is managing to take away. And they're going to have to start getting some clean zone entries and they're going to have to start generating some, you know, shots, some clear shots on that. Like they're, they're going to have to start doing some stuff. That's, that's kind of where I, they, they, they need to fix the way that this Minnesota team seems to be able to gum things up in the neutral zone and, and seems to be able to negate, you know, make sure that Dallas possession doesn't turn into shots as consistently as we're used to it doing. And to me, I think that is why it was so important that they were able to go up and split the series and kind of reestablish the home ice advantage. We were talking about this, um, my friends and I at dinner, and, you know, the question came up of, is home ice really that big of a deal in the playoffs? And I said, from like a crowd perspective, I don't know. I mean, maybe a little bit. Um, sometimes it is easier to be the road team. But the one thing advantage you do have is if you do have a good coach, that they can take advantage of the matchups um, having last change at home as the home team. So, you know, the games that Dallas has like better in have been the home ones where they have been able to kind of get the matches that they're looking for. So you kind of hope that maybe that is what they need to, to, like you said, kind of figure out getting through the neutral zone a little bit better. Yeah. And talking about if, if something's going to get, you know, if you want to get Jason Robertson untracked, and if you want to get Jamie Ben untracked, being able to to manage those matchups is a good way to do that, and something that's going to be important. Yeah. And it's it they're they're I, I think they're going to have to. The good news is right. Dallas has made their way into a two to two series against a very good goaltender and a very tough Minnesota team without having a signature game from their leading scorer slash MVP candidate, and that is a bad thing in the sense of we'd all be breathing a lot easier if Jason Robertson was scoring four points a night, you know, that that would be fantastic and nobody would turn it down. But I think it's also good news in the sense of they've won two games, could have won a third, despite having some of their normal things not show up, not work. And I'd, I'd much rather be in a position where the team is finding ways to win while there are still kind of obvious and clear next levels they can get to than to see a team that's completely maxed out and still in a slugfest. For sure. You know, they, they still have to, to, I love the, I love the idea about going to work, right? I think that's the perfect mentality. That's surely what, you know, coach Pete is, is, is imploring the group right now, right? Cause all of everything I just said doesn't mean anything if they don't go out and, and play the games well and win the games. But this is a team that, that, you know, they're, they're, Locked up in a tight one, as they say, but it's it's a team that that they they still have some there there's some avenue you can see some very clear avenues for success and, and ways that Dallas gets out of this series right now. For sure, if nothing else, the next three games should get interesting. Um, you know the subplots they are amazing refereeing calls versus no calls. Marcus Bellino in general. Oh, Marcus. <laughs> Oh, Marcus, the, you know, I, and they didn't win the game after, which is a, a, a disappointment, but I think, I still think Pete DeBoer's sixth snipe on Minnesota being went sixth in the league and penalties, ta- uh, penalties taken is that's, that's a pantheon playoff coach chirp right there. It's like, Oh, the team is complaining. It's hard to complain that we're diving when you're the, you know, one of the most penalized teams in the league. So great. You just love to see it and love Marcus Foligno complaining about a high stick when you watch the replay and he did not get hit up high with a stick, as far as I can tell, at least. Yeah. 
So uh, we'll we'll end here, right? Give me give me. I'm gonna go old school West question. So think about game, you know, game, the next game coming up, tie two to two tie. Somebody's gonna get a series lead. What is something that you could see? You know, what what do you need to see from the stars? What are you gonna see that relaxes you? Uh, thinking of the, the first period when they get back to Dallas. A five on five goal. <laughs> Yeah. Simple. Sometimes the, the, the simple answers are simple for a reason. Yeah. I, I'd say five on five or at this point, I'd just settle for, you know, one of those shifts where they sustain possession, get two or three shots, kind of have the ability to move the puck a couple of times, get a shot, reset, do it again. Right. But yeah, five on five goal. Or a little cycle or something. I yeah. mean, that, that's one thing we haven't seen Dallas do a ton of yet is actually get a, get some cycle time in the offensive zone. So if they could figure out a way to do that and wear down Minnesota a little bit more, I think that that could really play into into the situation too. But I mean, hell, I'll take anything off of a butt, a you know, a skate. A, a, I, Sagan's whatever. first tonight was a beauty in that regards. <laughs> and I, I think as well to to your point, Dallas is, and it's not manifesting on the score sheet right now, but Dallas is a deeper team in terms of offensive talent. And so the benefit of some of those cycle shifts that we're talking about is if you can force, you know, every time you can force Caprizov or Zuccarella, right? Every time you can force Minnesota's top line to spend time chasing the puck in their defensive zone is going to have a, a an outsized impact on the rest of the game because, you know, Kaprizov played 25 minutes in, in that game. Zuccarello played 23, the next kind of batch of fours, you know, Boldy played 19, right? Then you're getting into Hartman at 17, um, Gaudreau at seven. So there's, there's a gap between their, t- the, the tip of their spear and the rest of the lineup, right. In a way that you don't see with the stars. So, you know, no Dallas doesn't want to burn a Jason Robertson shift chasing the puck, but in theory, at least, if they burn that shift, they can then, you know, throw the bin unit out there or throw, you know, throw Domi's crew or, or what have you. Whereas if, if you know, every time Minnesota wastes a possession with Kaprizov, that impacts their ability to win the game in a more profound way than it would for the Stars. For sure. So, you know, to your point about um, five on five possession, if, if Dallas can start to, that's one of those things, right? If they can establish their, their game, their flow and put Minnesota in positions where they're having to defend for more sustained stretches, it should have a kind of compounding interest like effect because Minnesota will have, you know, fewer guys they can turn to after those long shifts to maybe tilt the balance back the other direction. But what do I know? <laughs> we don't know anything. <laughs> All I know is I'm going to be tuned in uh, to the next game and, and hoping that Dallas can break this alternating win cycle and, and make home uh, make home ice matter. I'd say, you know, to your point, five on five is definitely, you know, that or an early power play. I'd relax a little bit if they could get one of those like first minute, you know, first five minute power plays as well and, and have that might help them out a little bit as well. Get, get them into the flow a little bit more. For sure. Well, thank you for joining, uh, especially on a game night. I know you, you've got a bunch on your plate teaching teaching children the way of the stars, which is just noble work. And, and thank you for that. KT, thank you for uh, jumping and recording, doing all the work. Please do not forget, not not you and KT, although I, I don't forget either, but don't, don't forget out there in hockey land to download, like the podcast, do all of the things that make us feel the attention that we so desperately crave. And uh, here's hoping for 
continued good fortune in, in, in the next game. This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.